Hey, welcome to the podcast of C3 Los Angeles. I'm Jake Sweetman, and together with my wife, Nicole, we lead this church. We're glad you're here, and we pray that wherever you're tuning in from, that you are encouraged and strengthened by this word. Here's today's message. Come with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 20. The title of my message today is, If We Don't, Who Will? If We Don't, Who Will? The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth, chapter 4, in verse 20, For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk. Yeah, you could just put a period right there. (laughs) The kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in, everyone say it with me, power. Yeah, the kingdom of God consists in power. Some of you would know the context behind uh, Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. Uh, The Corinthian church was plagued by uh, all kinds of divisive behavior. Uh, A lot of the Christians there playing games of superiority and inferiority and doing a lot of self-promotion and and self-talk to present themselves as more holy, more useful to God. And so Paul is writing this letter to correct that wrong thinking and also that wrong behavior. And that's what he means by the kingdom of God not consisting in talk. He doesn't mean that things like sermons are not valuable or, or healthy discussion is not valuable. He's specifically referencing the kind of talk that the Corinthians were practicing, which is self-promotion and making themselves sound mighty and important. And so Paul is basically saying that the kingdom of God is manifested is seen and experienced through God's power, not through our own self-promotion. At the start of the year, uh, we laid out the word that we felt should characterize our year as a church, and that word is overflow. And specifically, we've been seeking to overflow in the areas of discipleship, evangelism, and practicing the power of the Holy Spirit. And this sermon series, this next 10 weeks that we're going to spend together looking at the gifts of the Holy Spirit has been planned since before the start of 2022 to serve exactly that purpose, to help us grow in practicing the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we get the joy of taking the next 10 weeks, not including, uh, or actually, yeah, including today, uh, to uncover and explain the gifts of the Spirit. And then beginning next week, what we're going to do is we're going to invite people forward to come to the altar and receive prayer in response to what you feel might be one of your gifts. So we're going to look at the gifts in, you know, groups of two and three each Sunday. And if you feel like that's a gift that the Holy Spirit has given me, we're going to invite you forward for prayer. We're going to lay hands on you. And we're believing for this to be the beginning of something awesome for your world. When it comes to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, I find that they are often talked about, but rarely explained. It's a little bit like uh, using special terminology and you just use the terms and you expect people to know what you're talking about, but they secretly don't really know what you're talking about. My son, Winston, he's eight and he's been playing basketball for the last two, three years. And when he first started playing basketball, we were just putting him in this, you know, these practices that were learning the fundamentals of, of basketball, dribbling and shooting and all that kind of stuff. But in the last year, he's been a part of an actual team. 
And the practices for the team are way more intense than the practices when he was just learning the fundamentals. Coaches are yelling. There's a lot of wind sprints. Like it's, there's push-ups happening when they're not behaving. Like it's, it's really intense. And so the coaches are, you know, trying to teach them plays and trying to take them deeper in the, ba- in the game of basketball. And I, I found recently that they're throwing around all of these terms expecting the kids to know what they were talking about, but the kids don't have a clue. So the coaches are yelling like, get in the paint, go to the elbow. And the kids are like, what elbow are you talking about? about like they're totally confused and that just makes the coaches even more mad because they don't know where to go or how to obey the command spiritual gifts are a little bit like that sometimes like do you speak in tongues I have no idea what you mean and so we want to help uncover the meaning behind these gifts that are all throughout the new testament and help us to understand what they are about And of course, uh, right smack dab at the start of this series, in less than two weeks' time, we have our very first annual Holy Spirit Conference. Now, let me just speak really clearly into this for a moment, because this conference is a call from God upon us as a church to step further into our identity as a Spirit-empowered people, not just for the sake of our own church's future, but for the sake also of Southern California. And so I just want to make a pastoral appeal to you. Please be an early adopter of this conference. Whatever obstacles are in your way right now that are preventing you from joining us in just two weekends' time, do whatever you can to move those obstacles. Exercise your spiritual gift of faith and move the mountain and get into the room for Holy Spirit Conference. Now, I just want to say, uh, this is a brand new thing for us. And so when you're pioneering something new, you meet all kinds of resistance. If finances are an issue for you, and that's genuinely why you can't come, we do not want that to be the reason that you're not in the room. So I'm just going to say this. I want you to email us. I already asked his permission, our executive pastor, James, james at c3losangeles.com. I'm dead serious. If finances are a problem for you, email james at c3losangeles.com, and we will work with you to get you in the room because it is going to be a not-to-miss gathering for us that weekend. So if we want to be overflowing as a church in the power of the Holy Spirit, then our approach to fulfill that vision has to include clear teaching on how the Spirit manifests His power in us and through us. And that's what leads us to learning about spiritual gifts. So to kick things off, let's look at a a definition of spiritual gifts from one of my favorite Bible scholars, Dr. Sam Storms. Coming up on the screen, he says this, that a spiritual gift is when the Holy Spirit manifests His presence and imparts His power into and through individual believers to enable them to exceed the limitations of their finite humanity so that they might faithfully and effectively fulfill certain ministry tasks for the building up of the body of Christ. Let's simplify that a little bit. A spiritual gift is when the Holy Spirit manifests His presence, imparts His power through individual believers so that they might fulfill ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. Dr. Sam uh, simplifies it even more by saying this, that spiritual gifts are God's way of going public among His people. They are the revealing of His presence and His power. Him personally being shown to be in the midst of his people. And that's why in the New Testament, when, it, when we see the, the, uh, the shutting down or the belittling of spiritual gifts, it is talked about as nothing less than quenching the presence of the Spirit himself. And if shutting down the gifts is the quenching of the Holy Spirit, then that means that our gratitude for the gifts, our humble practice of the gifts, is the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in our midst. One of our goals in this this series is to build a database uh, uh, of people in our church according to their spiritual gift. 
How awesome would it be to know who in our church is gifted in a particular area of healing ministry so that when somebody is being afflicted by a disease, we know who to call upon to lay hands on that person and pray. How wonderful and powerful would it be if we knew people who regularly experienced the gift of faith so that when we were facing a mountain that needed to be moved, we knew who to call into the room to get that mountain out of the way. How effective would we be if we knew the people in our church who who are gifted in what Paul calls leadership and administration so that we know who to call upon to lead teams to take initiative and to help us achieve our goals as a church. You need to understand that the body of Christ is a diverse fellowship that is composed of people who have been empowered with various gifts, which in 1 Corinthians 12, 11, Paul says, have been apportioned by the Holy Spirit, not as I will, not as you will, but as he wills. Now, our church right now between our locations is made up somewhere of around 375 people. And there are less than 20 gifts in the New Testament. I point that out because I mean to say that surely we have the bases covered. Between the population of people in our church and the number of gifts in the New Testament, surely we check all of the boxes. In fact, I believe that Jesus in his wisdom has planted the right people in our church for the season we are in who are gifted with particular gifts to help us collectively go further and reach higher than we have before. And it's up to you and I to recognize that and to grow not just in our gifts but also in our desire to serve. And then to seek to use the gifts, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians twelve seven for what? For the common good. And in this way, when we do that, God will go public among us. He will manifest his presence, his power in the midst of our Sunday gatherings, in the midst of our neighborhood groups, our community outreaches, our vision builders projects, our life courses, our apprenticeship program, our conferences, our songwriting, and more. My prayer is that we would each be like a weapon of choice in the hands of the Holy Spirit who can manifest his powerful grace through us to establish more of God's kingdom and extinguish more of the darkness. In order for you and I to really get the significance of all this, we have to grasp that spiritual gifts are a central feature of the church. And to understand that, we have to zoom out and see how the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, connects to what the Bible calls the kingdom of God. Jesus, when he came into the human story, he was the inauguration of God's kingdom. His healings and miracles, the signs and the wonders were the manifestation of the kingdom of God. His teaching out of the Hebrew scriptures on how we should live are the ethics of the kingdom of God. Indeed, Jesus himself says in Luke 16 and verse 16 that the law and the prophets, that is the Old Testament, were until John, that is the Baptist. Since then, since John, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone forces his way into it. To believe in Jesus in the first century was to enter into the kingdom of God. To experience the power of Jesus was to experience the reality of God's kingdom. This is why Jesus says in Matthew 12, 28, if it is by the spirit of God that I cast out demons, and he's having to make that clear because the Pharisees had just accused him of doing such activity by the power of Satan. He says, but if it is by the spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. In other words, supernatural deliverances, healings of diseases, the working of miracles were the arrival of God's kingdom into the midst of first century Palestine. And this verse right here that we just read in Matthew reveals something very important. 
that Jesus's life and ministry were totally empowered by the Holy Spirit. He said, it's by the Spirit of God that I do these things. And that's how it was from the very beginning of his ministry. In Luke 4, 14, it says that Jesus returned from the wilderness where he fasted for 40 days. He returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. But Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit, not just from the beginning of his ministry, but from the beginning of his life, for we know that he was conceived in Mary by the Holy Spirit himself. So if Jesus was the arrival of the kingdom, and everything he did was by the power of the Holy Spirit, then to borrow the words of one of my own teachers, Dr. David Campbell, we can say that from Jesus' birth onward, the Spirit has been the empowering behind the inbreaking of the kingdom. And this Holy Spirit empowerment of the kingdom did not cease with the ascension of Jesus back into heaven. If anything, it multiplied as the king took his rightful place on the throne and empowered his people. You see, when you fast forward from the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where we have the story, the life of Jesus recorded for us, you fast forward from there into the book of Acts, the fifth book of your New Testament, some things start to become clear about the role of the church in regards to the kingdom of God. Acts is an account of how the gospel began to spread from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And in that process, bringing many people, Jew, Samaritan, Gentile, into God's kingdom. And the main character of the book of Acts is not Paul, it's not Peter. No, the main character of the book of Acts is the person of the Holy Spirit. Just as he empowered Jesus, so now we see that the Holy Spirit is empowering the church. And that's what God intended to happen. In Acts chapter 1, verses 3 to 5, it says that Jesus presented himself alive to the disciples after his suffering by many proofs. So Jesus has been crucified and now he's resurrected and he presents himself to the disciples. He's alive. The proof is the holes in his hands and in his feet. The hole from the spear that is in his side is appearing to them during 40 days and he's speaking to them about what? He's speaking to them about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. No, no, no. Go and wait for the promise of the Father which Jesus said, you heard from me. I've talked to you about this. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then in verse eight, he says further, you will receive power. It's not just gonna be the person. With the person comes the power. The same power that had been empowering Jesus as he inaugurated the kingdom of God. He says that power, when the Holy Spirit has, gonna, has come upon you, you will be filled with that same power. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So you have to notice that Luke here in Acts, he connects the kingdom of God with the Holy Spirit coming upon the disciples. He mentions the same power being conferred upon them that Jesus relied upon for the inauguration of the kingdom. The same power of the Holy Spirit that energized all of Jesus' ministry and brought about the inbreaking of the kingdom of God is now not many days from this moment is going to come upon the disciples for the same purpose and cause the kingdom of God to spread throughout the entirety of the earth, starting in Jerusalem. Now, there's so much that we could say about that, and perhaps we will in later weeks, but the key for us today is to understand that the church, all of the church's activity is meant to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Apart from him, we can do nothing. 
The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus in whom we abide. He is the Spirit of the resurrected King, and He manifests the invisible kingdom so that it becomes recognizable to those who have eyes to see. So when we look again at what Paul says to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, that the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but the kingdom of God consists in power. What we realize when we put all the pieces together is that if God's kingdom is found in the manifestation of God's power and spiritual gifts are the manifestation of God's power, then that means that spiritual gifts are the manifestation of God's kingdom. What you do with your gift is the manifestation of the kingdom of God in the midst of wherever you find yourself, whether it's church on Sunday, neighborhood group on Tuesday, or work on Thursday morning. When you use the spiritual gift that the Spirit of God has deposited in your life, you are literally bringing the reality of heaven's kingdom into the circumstances that you find yourself in. People walk around, they say, we want more of the culture of the kingdom. We want more of the kingdom of God. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. If you want the prayer of Jesus answered, then learn your gift and put it to use and work in your context. <laughs> Revelation 19 says, 1910 says, For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. G.K. Beale, who is easily the worldwide authority on the book of Revelation explains this verse as a depiction of the prophetic nature of the church. That the church, the body of Christ, are inherently a prophetic people. Now, you yourself may not be specifically gifted to prophesy, and we'll talk about the gift of prophecy in coming weeks. But that doesn't change the fact that you are a prophetic person and you belong to a prophetic people group. You see, prophecy in the Bible is not just telling the future. Prophecy in the Bible is declaring and demonstrating the truth and the reality of God in the midst of a world who are plagued by lies. Living a prophetic life is doing exactly like Jesus said when he said, I want you to be light in the midst of darkness. Again, David Campbell says, when the Spirit comes, he takes us into a prophetic world, a world in which we begin to experience the supernatural, a world in which God encounters us with the whole array of his spiritual gifts. A world in which God is more real than anything we can access with our five natural senses. You see, the role of our prophetic people is to live lives that point to a kingdom reality that is both already here and coming soon. Throughout church history, there have been many revivals that have happened both abroad and here in America. And these revivals have been characterized by all sorts of amazing activity and manifestations of the Holy Spirit. I myself have experienced these kinds of meetings. And sure, those kinds of moments in church history where these revivals are going on for days, weeks, sometimes months at a time, they can attract people who are insecure. And in their insecurity, they manifest behavior that is really just their flesh. It's not the Spirit because they're looking for attention. But for the most part, these gatherings, these moves of God happening in the midst of people at particular areas of the world, they are legitimate, they are beautiful, and they are powerful, and they begin something in that region that otherwise would not have begun. 
And right now across our nation, I don't know if you hear what I hear, but if you're paying attention to any of the voices in the church in America right now, we are hearing a cry for revival. And make no mistake, the only thing that is going to turn the tide of the secular age in America is a mighty move of the Holy Spirit of God. But you and I must understand as we broach this subject that the prerequisite for a mighty move of the Spirit is for every Christian to begin taking small steps of obedience. You see, the question that the church should be asking right now isn't, is revival coming? The question that the church should be asking right now is, has the kingdom come? And yes, friends and family, the kingdom of God has come. In fact, the king himself came 2,000 years ago, and he planted the flag of his kingdom in the world in the form of his church. And he said, now go and be witnesses to the fact that I am the king. If the kingdom of God has come, you and I don't have to be looking for revival. By the grace of God, let it come. And when it comes, let it be like a tidal wave that turns the tide of the lost to the found. But in the meantime, you and I have been given this little guy called the Holy Spirit who lives on the inside of you, who wants to do really big things in and through your life, in and through this church, so we can see the kingdom of God come in our midst. By those small steps of obedience. The Holy Spirit's probably not a little guy, by the way. He's probably, he's probably normal-sized. The kingdom creates the church. And the church, by the power of the Spirit, manifests and perpetuates the kingdom. And this is no small issue. You getting this revelation is no small thing. Because the church is the only group of people, the only gathering of people in the world who have been vested with the power of God's kingdom. So if the church doesn't manifest that power, who will? If the church doesn't do it, who's going to do it? If we don't preach and teach the gospel, who will do it? If we don't plant churches, who will do it? If we don't prophesy, who will? If we don't speak in the tongues of angels, who will? If we don't heal the sick, who's going to do it? If we don't work miracles, who will? If we don't have faith, who will? If we don't lead in the spiritual battle against evil, then who will? If we don't discern the influence of demonic spirits and then cast them out, who will? If we don't show the mercy of God, who will? If we don't evangelize the lost, who will? If we don't share words of wisdom and knowledge, then who will? If we don't contribute to administrate and serve the will of the king, then who will? I hope you did not think that now is the time for us to bunker down, stay safe, and keep to ourselves. No, 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 no. This is the time for the church to recognize that he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. And he wants to work through a church who are willing and obedient. If they could do it in pre-Christian Rome, it can be done in post-Christian America, friends. And it's not just about who we are and what we do when we're gathered together. How about when we're scattered throughout the city? If you don't manifest the kingdom of God wherever you go, who's going to do it? If you don't bring the power of God into your corporate office, into your coffee shop, into your co-working space, who's going to do it? 
If you don't seek for your coworkers to come into the kingdom, who will? If you don't bear witness to King Jesus at that house party, who's going to do it? If you don't lay hands on the sick, I don't know who else will. If you don't speak prophetically into your friend, your family member, your neighbor's life who are in pain, then who's going to do it? This is why Holy Spirit Conference is so important, because we come together to be empowered to bring the kingdom back out into our context. Listen to me. If you are a business owner here today, then you ought to be a business owner empowered by the Spirit of God. If you are a parent, then you ought to parent those kids by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're a student, then you ought to be empowered by the same Spirit who empowered a 12-year-old Jesus as he debated the Pharisees in the temple. The same Spirit then is the Spirit is alive in the church now, and he's not done with what he... Don't you think that it couldn't be you, that God could never use you? In fact, because of the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit has willed, the text said, to give you, you might be the one person that he can use in any given situation. Never mind if you have to do it trembling. Never mind if you have to do it afraid. Never mind if you feel unqualified. All of those feelings, they just open the door for you to practice the kind of humility that is necessary for the kingdom of God to come through you. Paul said to the Corinthians in chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, and I was with you in weakness. This is the apostle Paul, and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and of power. Paul didn't go to Corinth as some impressive figure, not some high and mighty apostle who was obviously worth listening to. Paul walked into Corinth trembling. And in the trembling, he says, is the demonstration of Holy Spirit power because when one of God's vessels trembles, guess what spills out? Living water, fresh oil, the power of the kingdom spills out of every trembling vessel who does it not by their own might, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul said in another place, when I am weak, then I am actually strong. It's in our humble dependence on God that empowers our servanthood, that manifests his power. You show up to neighborhood group, you don't feel like you have anything to contribute. Guess what? That's perfect. Paul said in chapter 1, verses 28 and 29, God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Can I just tell you here today that you don't get any more insignificant than not. There is the category of low, there's the category of despised, and then there's the category of not. Like I am so low that I'm, I don't even count. I'm just a knot. But God loves to use the knots of the world in order to dethrone demonic powers to bring to nothing the things that supposedly are. God can do a lot with a little, but he can do everything with nothing. So if you have nothing, you are perfectly qualified to see the kingdom of God come through your meager life because of small acts of obedience. This is why as we broach the subject of spiritual gifts, every one of us should know that we cannot ask the question, what are my gifts, without also in the same breath asking the question, where can I serve? 
The sin of spiritual gifts become an object upon which for us to stand is important and point to ourselves. We have missed the will of God completely. You see, oftentimes I think we've missed it when it comes to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We ask, what gifts has he given to me? But it's not that the gifts of the Spirit have necessarily been given to individuals. No, no, no. They've been given through individuals to the body of Christ. Gifts are meant to act as directional arrows that point us to where we can make the biggest difference in the lives of others for God's glory. Um, let me get Zoya and um, just a worship leader, somebody who can sing <laughs> besides me. Not the full band, just, just Zoya and, and yeah, Josh is great. 1 Peter 4.10. It says um, this, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. So I just want you to notice there that each one of us has received a gift. This is what the New Testament teaches, that every single follower of Jesus has received at least one gift of the Holy Spirit. At least one. We're going to go on a journey of discovering what yours are. And when you know what yours are, now you have an arrow that's pointing you to how you are supposed to serve God and serve others. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. How? As good stewards of God's very grace. Which means when I have a gift, but I don't use it to serve other people, then I'm using it as a bad steward. It's exactly what Edgar was talking about. You have the thing. You have the wealth. You have the job. You have what you have. It's the same thing with your gifts. You have these gifts. But if you don't use them to serve others, you're stewarding that gift poorly. I don't know any other way to tell it to you than just the plain Bible truth. He goes on and says, whoever speaks, and Peter's going to break the gifts now down into two categories. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Peter has in mind their specific gifts of the Holy Spirit that we'll learn about throughout this series. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So this is the guiding premise for the next nine weeks. It's very simple. In order to steward your gifts, you have to know what you've received. And in order to know what you've received, it's going to require teaching, prayer, reflection, and then practice. I think we have a slide that has all the gifts we're going to look at over the course of the next nine weeks. Can you guys pop that up? Faith, healing, working of miracles, discernment of spirits, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, service, mercy, contribution, leading and administration. That one sounds really exciting, doesn't it? It is when you're gifted that way. doesn't matter how attractive the title sounds. If God made you to do it, when you do it, you will feel the breath of God moving through your life. If you think that you need to hold a microphone and exercise the gift of teaching in order to feel used by God, you have it wrong. It's not about doing what somebody else is gifted to do. It's about doing what God has gifted you to do. And when you do it, the Spirit blows. Apostleship and shepherding, tongues, interpretation of tongues, evangelism, prophecy, teaching, exhortation, and then words of, well, we put that one on there twice. We're just doubly excited about words of knowledge. 
We're going to learn a lot over the course of this next nine weeks. It's going to be really powerful. And my prayer, our prayer, is that this would just bring some needed clarity to how you're meant to serve God. You've been listening to the C3 Los Angeles podcast. If you found today's message helpful, we encourage you to share it with a friend and consider rating it. If you'd like more information about our church or details on how to get connected to a neighborhood group, head to c3losangeles.com. We love you. Thanks for tuning in with us.